Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call at Johnson's Air Conditioning or visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples magazine. Uh, visit lifeinnaples.net to find out more. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. He's also the author of several books, mainly on past presidents. We'll be talking about current global events. We'll visit with Larry Reed, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to uh, talk about the life, interesting life, of Warwick Charlton, builder of Mayflower II. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, as well. It is November the 2nd. It's the day before the big election tomorrow. And on this day in 1948, in the, one of the greatest upsets in presidential election history, Democratic incumbent Harry S. Truman defeated Republican challenger Governor Thomas E. Dewey of New York, by just over 2 million popular votes, not that popular votes really matter. In the days preceding the vote, political analysts and polls were so behind Dewey and on election night, long before all the votes were counted, the Chicago Tribune published an early edition with a banner headline, Dewey Defeats Truman. Harry Truman was thrust to the presidency by Franklin D. Roosevelt's death in 1945. That was into his fourth term. Can you believe that? Approaching the 1948 presidential election, he seemed to stand a slim chance of retaining the White House despite his effective leadership at the end of World War II and the sound vision and in the confused post-war war, uh, post-war world, I should say. Most voters still viewed Truman as an ineffectual shadow of his former four-term predecessor. He also antagonized Southern Democrats with his civil rights initiatives. Most were sure that Dewey would take the White House. In his last weeks before the election, Truman embarked on a whistle-stop campaign across the United States in defiance of his consistently poor showings in the polls. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> he traveled to, to America's cities and towns, fighting to win over the undecided voters by portraying himself as an outsider contending with a do-nothing Congress. Truman, a one-time farmer who was elevated to the pinnacle of American politics because of his reputation for honesty and integrity, won the nation's affection, and he nearly won a second term. Yes, that was a big upset, of course, no bigger upset than what happened in 2016 with President Donald Trump winning the election. A lot of tears on liberal media outlets uh, that night. In any event... Uh, Truman was a great president. He really was. He was. He had tremendous ethics and and a uh, very honest man. And uh, he actually would. He refused many requests to become members of boards of direction. But he says, "Look, you just want my name. You don't want me." Uh, he didn't want to sell influence. Uh, unlike what we're seeing with Joe Biden right now. Well, the Department of uh, Florida Department of Health on Friday reported 138 new cases of COVID-19. And one additional death, that's a lot. Saturday, only 45 cases, but Sunday, 77 additional cases. The seven-day average is now at 77 as of October the 30th. Now, that's the seven-day average of new cases of COVID-19. Uh, I frankly, and this is just my nature, it's my mental map, says more about me perhaps than what the facts are, but I suspect the COVID numbers are being juiced right now because of the election. Well, President Trump is uh, pulling out of the stops as he his campaign in his final days. It's just unbelievable. The enthusiasm is palpable. On Friday, Minnesota Democrat leaders would not allow President Trump to hold a rally with all of his supporters. Uh, thousands signed up to attend a rally on in uh, Rochester, uh, but Democrat leaders only allowed 250 people to attend. So the crowd of thousands turned out anyway outside the event. It was just amazing, and, and I think somewhat of an embarrassment to the Minnesota leaders uh, for turning away thousands to see President Trump when they could have you know, let him in. Unbelievable. Well, here's a schedule for the end of the campaign in Pennsylvania. Uh, that would be on Saturday. Uh, deliver remarks in uh, Bucks County at 12 p.m. 
He was then in uh, Reading at 2.30 p.m., Butler, Pennsylvania at 5.30, and Montoursville at 8 p.m. Over 50,000 folks showed up for those rallies. On Sunday, he was uh, in uh, Washington, Michigan at 11 a.m. That was really cold. It was uh, uh, snowing about in the 30s with high winds blowing right in his face. And we watched that a little bit. It was so interesting. And again, the enthusiasm is palpable. People lining up in that cold weather, in those uh, terrible conditions, to see the president hours before it started. In Dubuque, Iowa, 1 p.m., Hickory, North Carolina at 5.30 p.m., and Rome, Georgia at 8.30 p.m. He showed up in Miami at 11.30 p.m., and on today, he went on until 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, of course, there's a curfew called at midnight, but he kept on going until 1 p.m., or 1 a.m., and then today, the president uh, will deliver remarks uh, in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina at 11.30, Scranton, PA at 2 p.m., Traverse City, Michigan at 5 p.m., Kenosha, Wisconsin at 7 p.m., and Grand Rapids, Michigan at 10.30 p.m. Now, that's five rallies. The energy is just unbelievable, this man. And uh, when you compare it and contrast it to what's happening with uh, Joe Biden, it's just, uh, you can see just the a great difference in the energy and enthusiasm for what he's doing. For you, for those of you that don't follow social media, there are videos of massive car rallies all over the country, and here's just a sample. Uh, this in Rome, this is the going back to Georgia last night, 42,000 people signed up. Get this, 31%, almost 32% were not Republican. In an Opaloka uh, rally, or Opelok, I guess it's pronounced in Florida, yesterday, 14,000 signups, 24% did not vote in 2016. The enthusiasm is just incredible. Now, back to the uh, videos. New York City, Jews for Trump. There was a car rally for Jews for Trump in New York City, stretching 50 miles. That's right, 50 miles. And you think about Jews, for the most part, are typically voting for the Democrat candidate, but they're Jews for Trump car rally along the Mass Pike in Massachusetts, rallies in several other locations in blue states. New York City, Garden State Parkway in New Jersey had been shut down with Trump rally supporters. Beverly Hills, California, for two days in a row, over 10,000 people showed up. Trump uh, car rally yesterday in Arizona, get this, 96 miles long, 25,500 cars showed up. Trump rally on the ground yesterday in Beverly Hills, over 15,000 folks. Pittsburgh Post-Gazette endorsed Trump. Uh, this is a newspaper that hasn't endorsed a Republican since 1972. A Highway 5 in western Washington, Washington State, solid cars for miles all over Colorado. In Interstate 25, Denver is packed with cars. Vancouver, Washington, Utah, Medina, Ohio, Central Illinois, 20 miles of solid Trump rally cars. The silent majority is silent no more. It's just very inspiring to see. And then oh, Ice Cube. Now, I don't follow rap music, but apparently he's a pretty popular guy. Ice Cube praised Trump's platinum plan. I like that it's aimed towards black Americans. That's the key, he said. And he's just... You think about Candace Owens, her book, uh, uh, Blackout, black leaders, uh, Tyrell Owens. So many black leaders who are now standing up for Trump. It's just really amazing. It's so important. Now the, vo the numbers for blacks voting for Trump and supporting Trump are just unbelievable. I think it's up to, I've heard one statistic, 34%. A record 90 million folks have already voted uh, for the presidential election. 90 million. It's probably up to 91 million, not including yesterday's tally. Joe Biden said he has a right to. <laughs> These are just a couple of gaps, but anyhow, bad health care, bad cath care, or something like that in Flint, Flint Michigan. Uh, that could be a game changer right there. He also said, I lead an effective strategy to mobilize. Uh, this is true and it's of pressure, the former vice president stated during remarks in Lucerne County in Pennsylvania. He seemed to confuse uh, President Trump with former President George W. Bush. He said, I'm sick. And, he also said, what's my favorite quotes here? I'm sick and tired of smart guys. That just cracks me up. Well, so the election is coming up. Again, uh, tomorrow we probably won't see the results. There, I understand there's going to be hundreds of lawsuits, some already filed with regard to uh, the election results, irrespective of 
whether Trump has the number to achieve the uh, Electoral College number. I expect we're going to see uh, all kinds of efforts to try and slow this down. But my prediction is that President Trump will win this election with a landslide. You can't see this kind of enthusiasm behind a president uh, and for him not to win. Now, the, the mainstream media is talking about the support he has, uh, Democrats showing up for the elections, early voting and so forth. The question is, how many Democrats are going to vote for Trump? I think quite a few. I've seen a number of stories of people who say, well, I'm voting for Trump for the first time and proud of it in all my life. So I think the uh, turnout is going to be palpable and impressive. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples magazine. And visit the website, lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Just uh, St. Matthew's House Commercial, great organization, supported by uh, the Holacek Family Foundation. Of course, that's Lulubee's, and Lulubee's Kitchen just opened up at uh, St. Matthew's House. Please support also Lulubee's uh, Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Great breakfast and lunch, and they also offer uh, takeout with uh, Uber Eats. So, again, Lulubee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. As I mentioned before the break, he's an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Great for kids of all ages, including you and I. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So, uh, of course, numbers right now are starting to go up on COVID. Let's start off our discussion about what's happening around the globe with COVID-19. Okay, so in mo- okay. Let, let's start with the good news. East Asia, no covid Australia, no cases this past week. New Zealand, no cases. Taiwan, no cases. South Korea, almost no no cases. Japan, no cases. And China, no cases. Wow. So, so that's 
that's the good news for the world, I guess, if you want to look at it. The bad news is Europe and the United States, of course, which is throwing steady and rapid increases, particularly uh, Great Britain announced a curfew starting the 1st of November. Germany announced uh, a curfew or closed down of many of the businesses. Italy just announced this morning a um, curfew, mid, um, I think dusk to, to dawn curfew in, in all of Italy. Um, most of Europe at this point is, is the situation is getting Belgium, which was the worst hit at the beginning, has been terribly hit again, which sort of brings up the question that herd immunity did, did yeah. not occurred in Belgium, which had the highest rate in all of all of Europe the first time around, the highest percentage of deaths and the highest infection rate, and they're being hit very, very heavily again yeah. in Belgium. I should point out to our um, listeners, you are in Tel Aviv right now in Israel, so and of course Israel was shut down for a while. Right, Israel went through a second lockdown. It had its first lockdown. It came out without any controls and way too quickly, went into a second lockdown. Um, the numbers, when the height of the numbers is put into perspective during the first, before the first lockdown was like 350 or 400 cases a day. The second lockdown we went into, we were at 9,000 cases. We're down to 600 cases now, but we started opening up again, and we're starting to see the first signs of an increase. In other words, Schools have resumed K to fourth grade at this point, um, and we're starting to see the first signs of an increase. Um, restaurants are still closed, except for takeaway. Uh, bars, of course, are closed. Yeah. Um, and stores, street stores are, and malls are closed as well. How are the hospitals? Um, how's the hospital system doing? Hospitals are doing? way down as, as, of the, um, as a result of the closure Hospitals are way down. We, we had hit a point of 650 um, critically ill patients. We're down to about 390, I think it was today, mm-hmm. which is a number that 650 of the Israeli hospitals were having a hard time dealing in terms of <clears throat> staffing and everything else. At 350, it's back to a, <clears throat> a, a number that can be dealt with, let's put it that way. Oh, Mark, so I just really appreciate you pulling this information together for us. Uh, now, can you take a step back? Does it? Can you see any trends that are important in all of this? Yeah, there are two trends that are clear. Look, one thing we have to understand is putting a lockdown of some form or another actually works. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a failure in one level, but it clearly works. In other words, the places where the disease doesn't get to meet and uh, people don't get to meet, well, the, num- the numbers go way down. Schools can be very problematic. Israel has seen the schools very, very problematic. But keep in mind also Israeli schools are overcrowded. They have more kids per student than any other, any other school system in the OECD. So mm-hmm. that makes it more difficult to maintain social distancing. Part of the reason why numbers are down considerably in Israel is because Basically, everybody's wearing masks at this point. Certainly, no one goes into a store or anything else. It wouldn't even occur to anybody to walk into a store without a mask. But even on the streets, I would say 80 to 90 percent of the people, even riding motorcycles, whatever it is, they're always wearing masks wow. at this point. Um, now, um, the other thing to keep in mind, and this is the major issue, I think, more than anything else, is people's own awareness. In other words, people who take this thing um, seriously, and also I should mention something else, the average age of those people who are getting sick became much lower the second time around. Right. Older people have done a good job of protecting themselves of, as best as can be, um, and that's one of the important things. The other thing we've seen here in Israel is young people who have gotten it, mild cases, doesn't seem to be anything serious, and then weeks later they're having a trouble, trouble breathing. They don't have the same stamina they once had. Hmm. So the the tail, the long tail of COVID, it seems is really a real issue. Yeah, and we need to keep that in mind. It's easy to forget it, and when we see death rates going down, and death rates are definitely going down all over the world because doctors have gotten better at, at caring it. There's no right. magic cure. I mean, possibly some of the some of the treatments that President Trump got might actually be a cure, but they're not available in 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 large numbers, to be mm-hmm. honest. Yeah. Um, not in large enough. No, I mean, there's one drug. I forgot whatever it was. There's only fifty thousand uh, doses available worldwide. So yeah. that's not going to really help when you're having uh, the numbers that we have in the United States alone. There's seventy to eighty thousand new cases a day. Right. So uh, uh, the, the the real question, of course, is hospitalizations and deaths. I mean, it, to, to me, the 
The question is, is the second or third wave or whatever we want to call this, is it less fatal? Less, does it create less illness? Is it milder? So the answer to that question is hospitalizations are up. The hospitalization rate is not down. What is down is the death rate because, like I said, the doctors have gotten better uh-huh. at, at dealing with the symptoms of, of it. They understand what the symptoms are. They understand in terms of blood clotting. They, so they put people on blood thinners. They understand all the different ways that COVID can affect the the body, so while they can't cure COVID per se, they're able to uh, address many of the different problems that it causes in the body, and therefore the death rate is considerably down. And also, when the hospitals don't get overwhelmed, it's also easier to provide the, the care necessary for each individual patient. Because what does seem to be the case is each individual patient of COVID seems to be like you know very much individualized. The, the virus hits people in different ways. Yeah. So, uh, the death rates are definitely down. Hospitalizations, not so much. And yeah. Of course, what we're seeing in the United States is, with the numbers being so astronomically high at this point, even if the percentages of death is down, the number, the absolute number of deaths is, is is now steadily going up again, and we've crossed the thousand threshold at this point, and it's going to keep on rising. Mm. So, uh, there's a the lot good we news don't know. Is your odds of dying from COVID are lower now than they were six months ago, but if you're in various parts of the United States, the odds of getting it are much higher. And of course, people going around, being in crowds, people not wearing masks, um, then you're just looking for trouble. Yeah. So uh, thing. And the, so the social distancing, these things are just very important. We continue to do that. Uh, and don't go into a restaurant under any circumstances. The worst place in the world right now are, are restaurants, churches, synagogues where people are singing or belting out their hymns or whatever it might be. Those are terrible places because it's places in when they're indoors. If they're outdoors, it's fine. But if they're indoors, those are places that COVID spreads. Hmm. Interesting. So, so again, uh, you're attributing, I think, uh, all of the uh, the lower death numbers to the uh, now what we better understand about the disease. It could be, although, that it is uh, less uh, lethal or less uh, severe. No one, no one has... Ma- no one has has made any such claim in the scientific community at this point. Yeah. Mark, so, I, I mean, listen, the reality is, look, when it first hit, no one knew how to treat it at all. They put people on respirators almost immediately. Yeah. And respirators, it turned out to be, was a very problematic yeah. you solution. Wanna, you want to buy a respirator? <laughs> we got thousands of these respirators here. Right. Well, because people, we thought that respirators were the solution. Yeah. And it turns out that respirators are only the last, the last hope you do if there's nothing else can be done. You try a respirator, but yeah. there are many steps now that are done before the respirator. And, you know, especially with people who are older, it's very hard to get people off a respirator. Yeah, right, exactly. So, Mark, we have so many other things we want to talk about going on around the world. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and now building a brand-new performing arts center, 44,000 square feet in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. 
Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He's the uh, author of Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So let's move to uh, the protests in Thailand. Uh, they seem to be continuing. Absolutely, Bob. People are tired of military leaderships, of coups by the military time and time again. Every time there's a, there's a hint of a democracy, uh, there's another military coup. Now people are actually calling for a military coup against the military coup to put down demonstrations. Royalists who will believe in only the uh, king and queen of Thailand. Remember the, that Thailand is a, is a monarchy to a large extent. It's a parliamentary monarchy, sort of like England, but, mm-hmm. but the monarchs have more power and are considered more godlike than they are in England. No one thinks, no one mistakes um, Queen Elizabeth for, for, for a god. Mm-hmm. She may be revered by her subjects, but no one thinks she's a god. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. in, in, in Thailand, it's a little bit different. So, those, those demonstrations are continuing. Um, but, you know, I didn't put it on our list, but Belarus, they could, they're still demonstrating in Belarus every single Sunday. Hundreds of thousands of people come out to the streets and um, demonstrating against the government. They want it over and also in Poland. I we didn't talk about that. I didn't put that down the list either. I forgot about that. Poland yesterday, there were probably half a million people in the streets of Warsaw. Yeah. It was unbelievable. And all of this is against the decision by the, by the Polish Supreme Court, which was handpicked by the government to outlaw all forms of abortion, including uh, rape and incest and uh, non-viable fetuses. You know, There's been a but, tremendous backlash. And, of course, obviously this doesn't, represent, you know, doesn't have that many cases involved here, but the idea here that, that a minor, what many people consider a minority group has imposed their religious and other views on the, on the majority. Certainly, if you look at the cities, cities are all minor, a majority wouldn't agree, don't agree with that sort of view. So Poland is divided right down the middle, and it's playing out in the streets. So we're seeing that around the world, aren't we? I mean, I think that's almost a, a, a similar to what's happening in the United States. People are saying, look, we've got the power elite here. They've been in charge for years. This president right now is the person who's going to try and bring the government back to the people. That seems to be going on. At, and, you know, I've actually been... What was the last comment? Trying to bring the government back to the people. Who's, who's doing that? Uh, president Trump and the people. Oh, okay. 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 So, so we'll, we'll if, get into a public argument. <laughs> no, but uh, my, my point is, I've I've been uh, I actually was a, a master of ceremonies for a Trump rally before he was elected in 2016. The joy and happiness is palpable at those events, and we're seeing that across the country right now. Because you know, no matter how you feel about his personality, what he represents, I think, to Trump supporters is getting us away from and pulling us back away from the power elite who've run this country into the ground, quite frankly, and bringing okay, it back see, to the people. The problem with that is it's a mirage, so that's okay. And the same situation in Poland right now, um, you know, this, it's not, the new government has been in power now for four years, and again, they ran on a populist platform, but they weren't able to deliver, frankly. Yeah, it's a hard thing um, to deliver. It's it's difficult, but my point is this, well, that the people will rise up when they don't, when they feel like they're getting uh, when the, uh, they see a remote group of people making decisions for them that affect their lives and their freedom. No, that's absolutely the case. But let's, let's divide it a little bit, though, because um, Thailand has never been a real democracy. Yeah. Uh, Poland had, of course, these few years of democracy after the communist fall of communism. Yeah. And now one of the major, major issues with the current government is the current government has been trying to eliminate the checks and balances. So the, the Supreme Court in Poland used to be a check on the power of the uh, presidency, and they basically eliminated that by just passing some sort of law that allowed them to appoint directly all the Supreme Court justices. Mm-hmm. And so that was part of the anger of the people, was the idea that the um, current government was going to concentrate all of the power to itself. Right Now, the United States, whatever anger people may or may not have, whether it's legitimate or not legitimate, keep in mind we have a federal system. Right. Power in the United States is widely distributed. 
We have our local governments that have a significant amount of power over our day-to-day lives and over our taxes and real estate taxes and all of those sort of things. We have state governments, and state governments, you know, another layer that make all sorts of decisions for us or can make decisions that we can impact the, the governments of the states. And then we have the national government that actually has less day-to-day impact in many areas, a bigger impact, of course, on things of like foreign affairs, national policy, and other things. And even within our national government, we've done an awfully good job of having three separate, um, separate um, points of power. Branches of government. Uh, having the Congress, having the presidency, and having the Supreme Court, and each one being able to balance each other um, between different views, and even within Congress, we have the Senate and the, and the House. And our founding fathers were very bright in the fact that they said the House would be elected every two years and would reflect the will of the people, and the Senate would be a place where the will of the people would go to be discussed and um, given time. And so senators only get elected once every six years, and they only get you know only only one third of the Senate is ever up for election. Yep. So that, that they're not supposed to be directly for the will of the people. They can think back, think up, and think back, and consider things. Yeah. So I whatever mean, uh, that's, anger that's... people have, and then some of it's obviously um, well placed, and some of it has to do with things of the system and corporations and everything else as well. Obviously, but we have a system of government that really has worked remarkably well for a remarkably long period of time. No, I, I agree with you. everything you're saying. The founders did a magnificent job. The, uh, uh, it, it was a real miracle that uh, they were able to create a wonderful uh, a system that really works in terms of limiting power. So all that is absolutely true. But the, the legislative branch has abandoned much of its power to alphabet agencies of unelected officials right now in Washington, D.C. have all these ag- How many agencies are there like... Five or six yeah, but just remember something. You know, you, you you're skipping over the fact that you can criticize these agencies, you can criticize the bureaucrats, all these things is good and well, and I'm sure we share some of the criticism, and so we disagree on other parts of the criticism. Mm-hmm. But so much more of what affects us has to be is done on the state level and done on the on the municipal or county level. Thank goodness. I mean, I and, will say this: before Trump came along, I literally had thoughts of saying, you know what. The federal government is lost. We might as well just focus on Florida. Let's see if we could just retain our freedom and our rights here in Florida, because otherwise <laughs> what I saw going on in Washington, D.C. was hopeless. And that's why people experience so much enthusiasm for President Trump, because he's bringing but he the hope nothing. back. He has failed at everything he's tried in the last four years. That's the problem. Well, see, he's not, uh, he, uh, he's uh, not, he doesn't have the ability to, to, to bring forth any sort of plans that he might have. The only thing he's successfully done is decreased immigration, good, bad, or indifferent. One can argue about that, both legal and illegal. Yeah. And he renegotiated NAFTA. So uh, how, I mean, about, how, the, how about the peace agreements in the Middle East? Those are minor things that have very little impact on the United States. In Israel, people are very happy about it, but those are, in the end, they're mostly arms sales. Yeah. How about tax reductions? I mean, how about uh, the tax, the, the 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 cut in corporate taxes? I don't think that's necessarily good for the American economy because most of it was corporate corporate taxes that were cut. Well, they, right they, now corporations are making. You know, it certainly doesn't affect those things you were talking about before. Let me put it. Let's put it that way. Well, doesn't we can it, argue the economics of it. it doesn't it attract? But it has no impact on what you were talking about. The the feeling that Washington was disconnected. Doesn't it bring back jobs back to the United States? Weren't corporations? It hasn't. Not? It hasn't brought back any jobs. They, no corporations have moved their headquarters. Moved significantly moved investment from overseas back to the United States as a result. Um, none. There's been no, no cases of that taking place. That was the promise, but that's not what happened. The reality is it didn't happen for all sorts of reasons, um, but it has not happened. There's no corporations that brought manufacturing back or brought their headquarters back or reorganized their tax structures so they're not paying taxes in Ireland or Canary Islands or wherever people are paying taxes these days. None of that happened. They just paid less taxes in the United States. So what did that accomplish? So Amazon and Apple and uh, Google and all those companies are even richer. Yeah. Is that the goal? Was that the anger? Was the is the solution to that that anger lowering corporate taxes so those companies get even stronger? No, it's actually. I don't uh, think so. I think it's uh, getting you know 
the American economy was getting to be like walking through saltwater taffy, and the president has reduced regulations substantially and in a way There's that... speculation, but do you think that's made a difference? It hasn't. The corporations have built in the regulation. So he's cut back on the requirement that cars be less, be more efficient. So how about the but little the guy? How the about car companies already planned for that. Mark, how about... So how it about doesn't the, make uh, any difference. How about new businesses? It's made, it certainly made it... There no, no, there no, 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 any increase per se. Right now, during COVID, there's an increase when people lose their jobs, they stop businesses, by the way. That's yeah. a well-known factor. When you lose your job, you start a business, so there's more business creation in downturns are often than there are in, in good terms. Yeah. But there is no there, there are no statistics that, that show that. Well it's it, talk. It's wonderful talk. But you gotta look at the statistics. Go look at the numbers. You gotta look at what's actually happened. Well I think and the I think that President Trump has a, done did an excellent job of funneling the anger of people. No question about it. You know, and he I, continues it, to do said, that. Not, people continue to identify but See, Talk about what's you know facts on the ground. You so know, when the uh, the, pre- when the, the premise is, the premise you're saying is that there was anger motivated. This what there is is joy actually because people are so enthusiastic and excited about the solutions that he's bringing about. They're not angry. Okay, but the, but, the, but there's the, therein lies the problem. They're enthusiastic about his rhetoric, but what solutions has he brought about? Like I said, you look at the record. He has decreased in immigration. Now some people like that. But you, you once upon a time when I, we discussed this three years ago, thought that legal immigration was good and we should have more of it. We, I, I still think legal that. Immigration. I still think that. Okay, but he decreased legal immigration. He put tariffs on goods. Tariffs are not the way you you decrease regulation and don't, you don't decrease taxes by putting tariffs. Tariffs do not help in trade. So where is these, the joy for what? For what actions did he take? That have worked well. I have to point out the fact that he had a Democrat uh, legislative body, and it, it was very difficult. He did not for the first two years. He had both 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 houses of Congress. Well, Mark, you, as much as I'm enjoying this as usual in our discussions, <laughs> we've run out of time before we run out of topics to talk about. But I I hope have a our, wonderful week, Bob. Yeah, well, I just hope our listeners know a lot more than we know today. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much, Mark. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with, uh, I hope you enjoyed the uh, conversation. Always tension between, he's a little bit of a globalist. I tend to be a populist uh, and uh, support President Trump. He obviously doesn't. So we'll see what the people say tomorrow. It should be exciting. Uh, We're going to visit with Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Offshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. 
we'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. Visit the website and get tickets for upcoming season at gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Always a pleasure, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We're an educational foundation, a private one, funded by private contributions from individuals and foundations. And our work focuses on high school and college-age young people. Our purpose is to educate and inspire them in ideas of individual liberty, free enterprise, private property, and personal character. We do that through a very robust website at feefee.org and events uh, in person all over the country and often abroad. Yeah, terrific organization. I, I've seen, I've been to uh, national events, actually, for the Foundation for Economic Education to see the enthusiasm of these young people uh, actually celebrating America and celebrating uh, personal responsibility. Uh, if you have a young person in your life, have them visit the website, fee.org, and get them involved. It's a great organization. So, Larry, you've written, not, written another inspiring story about Warwick Charlton, builder of the Mayflower II. Tell us about it. Okay. Yeah, I was doing some research on uh, the Mayflower that brought the pilgrims to America in 1620, because uh, this month will mark the 400th anniversary of that uh, very important event, and uh, just sort of stumbled upon uh, this side story about uh, a second Mayflower, a replica of the first that was built uh, back in the late 1950s and given uh, to America as a gift. And the man who did that uh, was named Warwick Charlton. He died in 2002 and was born in 1918. But he, he served the British uh, Army during World War II, in fact, uh, worked closely with uh, Bernard Montgomery, the famous field marshal and general, uh, in North Africa. And he came to appreciate the support that Americans gave to the Brits during World War II. And when he was on an American troop ship at the end of the war, uh, heading back to Britain, he picked up a book. It happened to be a copy of Governor Bradford's Of Plymouth Plantation, which told the story of the early Pilgrim Settlement, and it gave him an idea. He thought, wouldn't it be great to show appreciation for America's uh, assistance in World War II to produce a replica of the Pilgrim's ship uh, as exact as possible, and then sail it to America and give it to them, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah, an amazing story. Just think of that. The only book, now as it turns out, I've actually read on Ply of Plymouth Plantation by William Bradford, the uh, governor of first, I guess he was the first governor of, of uh, that community of Massachusetts. In any event, it's really it's difficult reading because it's it's in the old English language, but it yeah. is so fascinating and so interesting uh, to what they've gone through and what they went through. But uh, this is such an inspiring story because it, this this is not a rich guy. This guy, it just basically he said, "Look, I have no money, but I'm going to make this happen." Yeah, it, it took him ten years to raise the money. Uh, because he didn't have any of his own to speak of. He had to raise the equivalent of several million dollars. Uh, he had angry creditors he had to contend with and striking shipyard workers and jealous keepers of the Pilgrim's uh, flame in Massachusetts who wanted to be careful that everything was done just right if he did it. Uh, and uh, uh, so uh, he was successful, though, in raising the money. He came up with creative ideas like selling uh, treasure chests of British products. He would go to British companies and say, uh, when the ship is built and we'll sail it to America, we'll include treasure chests in it so the Americans can make a big deal of opening them and uh, sample your products made in Britain. Yeah. And British companies would pay a certain amount for that. And as he was building the ship, uh, he actually charged admission to people uh, to watch it being built. Uh, so he was quite creative. 
245,000 people by the time he had finished building it in Britain had paid to watch the work in progress. So <laughs> it was a creative way to raise money for it. Yeah. And then it, when it was all done, he boarded the ship himself along with uh, a crew, and they uh, were dressed in pilgrim outfits, and it took them uh, about 55 days to sail to America, where they were greeted in Massachusetts by a crowd of uh, more than 100,000 people. And to this day, all these years later, uh, from when the ship was gifted in 1957, it's still there. Yeah, what an inspiring story. And again, it just shows the initiative and what somebody can accomplish when they uh, when they set out to accomplish or to, to make a contribution. It's a very inspiring story. And to imagine the, and think about uh, the pride and the uh, admiration he must have for uh, the founding fathers and what they accomplished. Yes, he sure did. And uh, he lived uh, to a ripe old age, way up in his 80s. And he would try every year uh, to come over to America uh, usually in the month of November, uh, to uh, see the ship again. And he would just quietly get in line with all the tourists who didn't know, of course, who he was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, the thing that amused him the most, apparently, was the fact that so many tourists would be talking as if they they thought the ship was the original. Yeah. And, of course, it wasn't. But uh, he required, in the building of the ship, uh, 17th century tools, uh, he wanted everything to be uh, to, to as exact as it was and to be made exactly as it was uh, all those uh, th- you know, hundreds of years ago. And if you've ever been involved in a fundraising experience, you always have grand ideas. At the end, though, you end up with something smaller and not quite as beautiful <laughs> as, as you <laughs> planned on because of budget cuts and so forth. But the point is this. He didn't give in one iota in terms of his own requirements and, and uh his uh, uh, his aspirations for the ship, and it turned out to be an exact replica, did it not? Yes, it, yes, it was. In fact, uh, and he wanted to be so sure of its seaworthiness that uh, one of the conditions he uh, imposed in the contract with the builder he hired was that the builder himself had to be among the crew that would sail it to America. <laughs> so good. just to make sure the guy didn't make a ship that would leak. <laughs> that is a great story. Again, Larry Reed, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. You can find this article at fee.org, F-E-E.org. And again, if you have a young person in your life, really check it out. You should get them involved. We don't teach uh, the this stuff in, in our public schools anymore. So it's an important adjunct to growing up if you're in that Uh, high school or college age. Larry, I really appreciate your contribution to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He lives right there in the Beltway in Washington, D.C. He used to have his press pass at the White House. He was a Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Now he's an author. His last two books, uh, Shake the Money Tree, is is the sequel to uh, Follow the Leader. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I could only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tammy Amy Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. 
You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Mulebee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It is a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Jim McTagg. Jim, as I mentioned before the break, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Uh, retired, and now he's a, a writer. He writes great murder mysteries ro- located right there in Washington, D.C. His first is Follow the Leader, followed by uh, Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's it's fun, Bob. You know, I live in Washington, D.C., but uh, in March I'm going to be moving to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which happens to be uh, the, the strongest Republican uh, concentration uh, in Pennsylvania. Well, con- so, congratulations so to you. Obsessed, yeah, thank you. I'm obsessed with Pennsylvania. I have a sister uh, who who lives uh, outside of Philadelphia. She went to a Trump rally in Bucks County huh. uh, over the weekend. Wow. How, I, well, so, how did she? What did she report back on that? Well, she was ecstatic. I mean, uh, now remember, I'm going to remind your listeners that I voted uh, reluctantly. I, I held my nose and voted for Biden. Um, uh, although I appreciate a lot of what uh, Trump has done. Yeah. But anyway, my sister and and her husband are, are true MAGA believers. Yeah. And uh, she, she, she managed to wrangle a seat in the second row. Wow. Uh, and, and she was just ecstatic. And she said they had, um, you know, they, they, she claims they could have had 30,000 people there, but they limited. So she was one of about 4,000 people. And, uh, you know, I looked, the crowd is really enthusiastic. Oh, yeah. You know, the president is is uh, still energizing his base. He's a rock star oh, among his base. But having said that, I look at the mail-in votes, mm. and, you know, I deduce, uh, and we'll know after the election whether I'm right or not, right. that people who send in a mail-in vote are very concerned about catching COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And when you see the huge increase in mail-in votes across the United States, I think that in this election, the Wuhan plague actually is uh, more important to voters than the economy. And, you know, generally the, the old saw is it's the economy, stupid, not this time around. And when you look at the number of mail-in votes, you have to conclude that they favor Biden because supporters like my sister, they really don't consider COVID to be uh, the primary issue. I mean, so, she, so she let me let me, me let me offer you an alternative point of view. Uh, my wife and I, Lynn and I, uh, filled out our ballots together, meaning we talk about the issues. And because on on a Florida ballot, you see a lot of stuff that you hadn't even thought about, quite frankly, like uh, amendments to the Constitution and so forth. So we do, we do that. We, that's the practice we have. Now, instead of mailing the ballots in, we got in the car and drove them down to the supervisor of elections office and uh, deposited them in the, in the secure area there that they have, them, just because we wanted to make sure that our ballots would count. Now, uh, we did that... Uh, Primarily because we didn't want to stand in line. I, I currently have some back problems, so I can't stand up for a long period of time anyhow. So uh, I think uh, COVID is important to me. That's my story. That's why I did it. But to me, the economy, individual freedom, taking responsibility of dealing with this thing is most important. So I think there might be another point of view. Okay. Now, see, I view the election as Trump versus Trump. 
<laughs> you know, yeah, so and I, I view I view right. this as I view the election as it is uh, the people versus the establishment and the uh, well, we'll call it the swamp. <laughs> and I think the reason why your sister is experiencing so much joy and what I see across the nation, people going to these rallies, is because President Trump represents hope and optimism that perhaps we can move this country back to its constitutional roots as opposed to being hijacked by the, uh, by the bureaucrats. Uh-huh. Oh, no, I, I agree with you. I, I appreciate a lot of what the president did, mm-hmm. uh, but I still don't like him uh, in general. Now, uh, back to Pennsylvania, yeah. I'm reading in the local papers up there, the county uh, election offices are just overwhelmed. Imagine that, that you have a business and you have 100 people in line in front of your desk demanding attention. You have a pile of mail that's five feet high that, that you have to read, and your telephone is constantly ringing and you can't pick it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that pretty much describes the scene in a lot of these county uh, uh, election offices in Pennsylvania. And so... Uh, come election day, I mean, a lot of people will not be able to get a uh, ballot uh, mm-hmm. by mail, number one. Number two, uh, the counting of these ballots, some of the counties there will not start to count them until the day after the election. Mm-hmm. So we will not know the results in Pennsylvania until at least Friday, mm-hmm. and it will probably be sometime the following week. Mm-hmm. So if this, if, if this election is razor thin, and I think it will be, mm-hmm. uh, we will not know the results uh, until maybe November 10th. Uh, the the other thing is uh, Pennsylvania is a swing state. Yeah. President Trump won that state by about 43,000 votes uh, in 2016. So uh, Biden, all he has to do to win Pennsylvania is to pick up uh, 40,000 votes. It doesn't seem like it should be uh, much of a challenge. But it is. It shows what a terrible candidate he yeah, is. He, well, and, and, uh, the other thing is, if you're looking at the numbers of people that attend these rallies, up to forty percent are not even Republicans. So uh, they they and and did not vote in the in the last election. So I the question I have is, what percentage of people that are getting their ballots and that have a Democrat or D next to name, how many of them are voting for Trump? Um, I think a good question. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I think which that's, is why I don't believe anything I read in, in the papers. Well, um, see, but in my view, you know, uh, I can't, Jim. In my view, I, I just uh, uh, I think the polls are. are I'm sure they're they're polling uh, registered voters. Many of the people who are voting for Trump haven't voted in the past for the last in four elections, and in the last election, they're not likely voters. They're not being polled. So I think there's a there's the real question is, and I think this is in other key states as well, how many Democrats are actually going to vote for Trump? What percentage? I think it's a large percentage. Well, you know, we won't, we won't know, of course, until about November 10th. Uh-huh. Um, so I agree with you. Uh, I am not courageous enough to call the outcome of this election, number one. Number two, uh, regardless of who wins, uh, the country will survive. The country is strong. And here's one prediction I'll make. I think people who, who uh, Republicans who voted against Trump split their tickets. So, so a Biden victory does not guarantee Democratic control of the uh, federal legislature. Yeah. Well, I will make a prediction. Trump will win the, uh, the uh, national election. I think uh, the uh, Senate will remain Republican. Maybe by a razor thin margin, but uh, I think they'll we'll hold on to the Senate. And I'm hopeful, I'm not predicting, but I'm hopeful that we'll win the House. Well, here's something of interest. One year ago today, the headline in the New York Times was Elizabeth Warren proposes a $20 trillion health care plan. Yeah. So, uh, and we've all forgotten about that. Yeah. Uh, thank God we've forgotten about Elizabeth Warren. But um, uh, I have to say that... Uh, I have no love uh, for the liberals. Um, I held my nose and voted for Biden, but uh, 
I hope that the Republicans follow under the federal legislature. Yeah, exactly. Jim, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. And, you know, we see the world differently. Maybe that's what makes our conversation so darn interesting. You, You really know what's going on. So I appreciate your commentary here in the show. And I really like you, Bob, so we can disagree and, and uh, be friendly. And uh, I, I think you're one of the great broadcasters and a pioneer of podcasts, so it's a privilege to join you. Oh, thank you so much for saying that, Jim. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Uh, we have a great guest for tomorrow. We're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Well, that's going to be an interesting conversation with everything that's going on. Boo Mortensen is back in uh, the Paradise Coast. We'll visit with Boo. Well, Seton Modley is the founder and president of Less Government. He'll join us. And my wife, Linda, will be joining us. She writes her column, Greetings from Paradise. It's very, very popular. I'm a little jealous, actually. But uh, that being it, they're all published on my website, bobharden.com. We'll talk about what's going on in the world with Linda as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>